Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I'm Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is day 18 in our series, and we'll be beginning St. Catherine's Treatise of Obedience. In this episode, the Father speaks to Catherine about what nourishes and what destroys obedience, and the signs one can see in the soul that possesses the virtue of obedience. We'll begin with the subsection that opens, here begins the treatise of obedience, and end with the subsection of the excellence of the obedient and of the misery of the disobedient members of the religious orders. Let us open with St. Catherine of Siena's prayer to the Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal God, eternal Trinity, You have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our last segment, the 17th in this series, the Father revealed to Catherine the contrast between the life and death of a just man and that of a sinner. He showed her that if a person walks in faith and radical surrender to the will of God, such a person will not only have peace in this life, but he will meet death with great hope. In this life, there's always a struggle within any person due to the battle to resist the temptations of the devil, the flesh, and the world. One of the key virtues of the faithful Christian is hope in God's mercy. Although any of us may fail at any time, where there is confidence in divine mercy, there is always hope. For this reason, the devil especially works to sow seeds of discouragement and despair in human hearts. When a soul lacks the light of faith, she doesn't know how to judge between the things of this world and the things of the kingdom. Such souls are not well equipped to resist the temptations of the evil one. And if they fall, they are more easily led into despair. Despair is the best of the devil's weapons, since if people give in to despair, they do not turn to God for mercy, 
and therefore choose their own destruction. The Father speaks of the uniquely tragic situation of those who have been given the calling and the grace to serve in the church, but choose rather to serve themselves. The Father invites Catherine once more at the end of the Treatise of Prayer to dedicate herself to ceaseless prayer, not only for the ministers of the church, but for all souls. He invites her to put complete faith and hope in God's love and in the power of the blood of Christ and to beg for mercy for the whole world. As we begin today's considerations, the Father begins to answer Catherine's request to know more about obedience, where it is found and how it is lost. He points to the perfect model of His Son, the Eternal Word. In Christ is truly the fullness of obedience, an obedience motivated by perfect love that made Him run to the shameful death of the cross. If she wishes to see the root of disobedience, Catherine is directed by the Father to look at Adam and to see how pride rooted in self-love and a desire to please others rather than God led to Adam's downfall. By disobedience, he not only lost grace and innocence of soul, but he fell into great misery, and the whole human race has suffered from this disobedience of our first parents. The Father gives Catherine certain signs of whether a soul possesses obedience. He tells her that a person who is patient is also obedient, while one who is impatient will not obey. He likewise says that the virtue of humility not only causes the soul to grow in charity, but also in obedience. Humility teaches the soul to seek not to please herself, but rather to please God. Likewise, it shows her not to, not to rely on herself, but to rely in all things on the grace of God. The perfection of this humility was seen in Jesus Christ, who was obedient to the will of the Father in everything. The one who walks in humble and patient obedience will walk securely, while the one who follows the path of pride and impatient disobedience will surely lose the way of life. The Father notes that there are two ways of being obedient, one more perfect than the other. The first is the general obedience to which all are called, as they are to follow the commands given by God. The second is the obedience of those who wish to go beyond the commandments, who accept the call to live in the spirit of the evangelical councils. First, the Father speaks of the general obedience to which every soul is called. The Father says that He entrusted to Christ the key of obedience. When Christ laid down His life for us on the cross and rose again, He ascended to the Father. After His ascension, Christ entrusted the key of obedience to his vicar, sweet Christ on earth. The Pope is the vicar of Christ, and he exercises the office of binding and loosing entrusted to St. Peter. 
So it is by obedience to the authentic and true teaching of the Church that one can learn how to obey in true humility. The obedience of Christ was motivated perfectly by His love for the Father and His infinite desire for the salvation of souls. Because Christ beheld the fullness of the Father's glory from all eternity, He was filled with perfect love. And this love was ever expressed in obedience. When we see God by the imperfect light of faith in this world, we too are moved to obedience. All souls are called to walk the way of the commandments of God, which are perfectly summed up as the Savior taught us in the love of God and the love of neighbor. A person who truly walks in this love will walk through life in humble patience, even when there is opposition. When we are baptized, we renounce the world and all its pomps and delights, and we promise to obey God in and through His Holy Church. In this way, we enter into the obedience of the Son of God, which is a sure path to life. When we follow the teaching of the Church, we take the key of obedience into our hands, the key which the disobedient, the Father says, throw into the mud of impurity, breaking it with the hammer of pride, rusting it with self-love. Humanity was so disrespectful of obedience at its beginning that had the Son of God not become man, the key of obedience would have been entirely destroyed. But Christ, by taking up the key of obedience, purified it in the fire of divine love and cleansed it with His blood. By the power and grace of Christ, now we can be restored to grace and strengthened to obey God unto our salvation. The Father tells Catherine that even though we might falter and even fail in our obedience, we can leave sin behind in holy confession, in which contrition of heart, satisfaction, and a firm purpose of amendment can restore us to the grace of obedience to God. If a person becomes too absorbed with wanting the praise of this world, he is likely to lose the key of obedience. This is why patience is so deep a mark of the obedient soul. The obedient soul is willing to endure misunderstanding and suffering and remains peaceful and quiet even when opposed by this world. Because the obedient soul desires God alone and is obedient to the divine command to forgive, there is nothing that can shake the peace of this soul. That is why even though Christ was treated with profound injustice, yet his soul remained in constant peace. In the next section, the Father compares obedience to the bit and the bridle on a horse. Without the bit of obedience joined to the bridle, a horse goes wild and its actions go from bad to worse. Such, the Father says, are disobedient souls, who although they may start out with smaller disobedience to precepts of the law, if they do not repent, they end up violating even the commandments of God. 
God calls to souls to abandon the filth of their impurity, all the violence and cruelty to their neighbors, all the disordered passions and pleasures and delights of this world. Even if someone else has treated a person badly, good must be returned for evil, after the model of the humble Lamb of God. When the fire of love consumes a soul, it desires ever more obedience. And the Father tells Catherine that this is why there are some who are not content with mere observance of the law, but who also bind themselves more closely to obedience through a religious vow or a pledge to obey someone in the spirit of the evangelical councils. This, the Father says, is the most perfect form of obedience, although the two kinds of obedience, that to the commandments and that of the evangelical council, are so united that they cannot be separated. While every soul can be secure in its journey to God by following the guidance of the Holy Spirit coming through the Holy Church, the Father uses the image of a ship whose captain is the Holy Spirit for the religious orders founded in the Church as a place of refuge and strength for those who wish to sail to the harbor of heaven with greater security. The state of religion within the Church is one that receives souls in all degrees of perfection, who, guided by the light of faith, enter into a more perfect obedience by vow in order to divest themselves of self-will and live for the will of God alone. The Father says that it is not how one enters into religion that shows the true quality of obedience, but rather perseverance to the end. The religious who obeys the holy rule is guided by the Holy Spirit and will not fail to have all that he or she needs to attain salvation. When religious orders are true to the call to be poor, chaste, and obedient, living in true fraternal charity, all that they need is provided. When, however, the rule is not faithfully kept and self-love creeps in, and people begin to keep possessions for themselves and to fail in obedience, their way is no longer secure. The Father tells Catherine that the founders of the great religious orders well ordered their ships. He praises the excellent judgment of Saint Benedict and the radiant joyful poverty of Holy Father Francis, who was willing to share in the sufferings of Christ crucified and embrace poverty as his bride. The Father then goes into an extensive discussion of how well Holy Father St. Dominic ordered the ship of his order. This is probably because Catherine herself was a follower of St. Dominic, a member of the Third Order of Penance of St. Dominic. The Father says that Dominic was his beloved son, who for the glory of God and the salvation of souls, asked his children to pursue the light of science with a voluntary poverty. St. Dominic was a fervent apostle in the world, sowing the seed of the word with truth and light, given to the world as a gift through the hands of Mary. Even though there is a wide range of degrees of perfection among the children of St. Dominic, all the Father says may live well in the ship he established. The Father goes on to say that in the early days of the order, the friars' preachers were fragrant flowers of virtue. 
such as St. Thomas Aquinas, who received the abundance of supernatural light and science by grace, since he sought truth more by prayer than by study. Next, he praises St. Peter, the early martyr of the Dominican order, who shed his blood in his attempt to correct the errors of the heretics. He dedicated his life to witnessing to the faith, confessing it even in his last moments when he wrote the creed in the ground with his own blood. The Father says that St. Dominic and St. Francis were two columns of the Holy Church, upholding the Church by Francis's love of poverty and Dominic's dedication to learning, both passionately clinging to Christ crucified and walking in his ways of obedience. A person who sets out in love to pursue a religious vocation must be willing in the light of holy faith to slay self-will and every passion. Such a person may, by obedience and patience, nourished in humility, find all the strength needed to persevere. By death to self and to the world, they come to live for God. The Father points out that there is a larger door opened by the general key of obedience through following in the way of God's commands, but that if one chooses to set out by the narrow way of religious life, he needs this key to pass through a very small door, which cannot be passed through with the riches of self-will or the treasures of this world. All the greater is the need for humility, patience, and obedience to pass through the small door chosen by the religious. Obedience puts to death perverse self-will and self-love, and therefore defends souls from all the enemies of the soul. If souls truly die to their own will and submit all to God, they will live freely and in peace. If others oppose them, or if what is asked of them is difficult in the journey of faith, they will not falter. Returning to the faithful religious, the Father says, this person loves to be in the cell of the monastery, conversing with God more than with others, dedicated to constant prayer and contemplation, and laboring for the good of others. The obedient religious, the Father says, wishes to be the first to enter the choir and the last to leave it, knowing that the life of prayer gives the strength to charity so that one will continue to walk the way of obedience. A true religious finds joy at being at table with the poor and never has to fear thieves since he has given away all he owns and freely shares with others. Submission to others in community life deepens humility and strengthens charity. By voluntary penance, the faithful religious keeps his flesh in submission to the Spirit. After the model of Christ, he seeks not to exalt himself, but remembers that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This concludes the 18th episode of our series and the first part of the Treatise of Obedience. Next time we'll begin the final section of the dialogue, the second part of the Treatise of Obedience, with episode 19 on final perseverance and prayer, from the subsection on how the truly obedient receive a hundredfold, to the subsection how this most devout soul, thanking and praising God, makes prayer for the whole world and for the Holy Church. Until then, may we follow the pattern of Christ crucified, 
whose humble obedience, even to death on the cross, heals all the wounds of Adam's and our disobedience. In Him is every grace and the fullness of love and mercy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.